0: Welcome listeners once again to another edition of Cult Following, the podcast brought to you by the fine folks at Cult Classics AZ, bringing your favorite movies back to life on the big screen every month at Pollock Tempe Cinemas. You might describe us as explorers in the further regions of experience, angels to some, demons to others. I'm one of the three Cenobites who will be leading you on this tripping a celluloid hell. I'm Victor Marino along with Adam Murkowski. Cenophile for me. There we go. Cenophile. <laughs> That's our new thing. Meow. And Kirby Nelson. Ooh. And welcome to episode 47 which we are taping on All Hallows Eve. But we're, We already had our Halloween episode last week so we're gonna be talking about some of our favorite book adaptations are going to be catching up on some of our movies that we've been watching over the past month. Because if you listen to last month's episode, we didn't really talk about a lot of
1: movies. Yeah, we went on a big old tangent. Tangent. So. Did we even talk about Halloween?
0: Yeah. We, sort of. Ho- sort sort of. of. We talked about our favorite Halloween attractions. Oh, yeah.
1: We were talking about all the, the misadventures that we were doing. Yes.
0: Um, but yeah, you know, last. We've done a lot of stuff and we've watched a lot of movies in the past month plus that we haven't really talked about and i'm sure kirby has an encyclopedia full you know what i, I, I actually know oh. like
2: i was i had mentioned earlier was i am always blown away by people every october who uh, have their 31 days of halloween viewings and it's like since what i watch is primarily horror films it's like i i can't believe people are fading 40, 50, 60, 100 movies in in one I feel one month.
0: like a lot of people who do those lists, especially on social media, are kind of lying. Well,
2: I'm sure there is to a point, but at the same time, there's other people where it's like, um, it's just enviable to, uh, and you're right on social media. You gotta be careful with that, but it's like, but some of the people who I do know either personally or something, I believe they probably watch quite a few of them. Especially if you can tell they're catching up on newer stuff. Yeah. When it's like the older movies, I unless it's Halloween, like literally the movie Halloween, Trigger Treat, some of the classics. I have a, a you know, it's like that might mm. be your one Halloween view. But I, it's just, but I mean, people in general, like, I, it's, it's, I guess maybe my times have just changed where. I really, really want to watch a lot of stuff. I just find uh too much competition. I, I kind of think attention. too, part of it is
0: like during Halloween people make an effort to wanna to watch these things to talk about it. You know, sort of like I True. need to talk about this specifically. I mean, I know yesterday, uh, we were just hanging out and we watched uh The Crow, Hocus Pocus, the Garfield Halloween special, and um Nightmare Before Christmas, and the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That's like a week's worth of stuff, right? Yeah, there. that's
2: pretty. That's pretty hefty.
0: Yeah, but that's only like really a few hours, you know. True. With
2: the with the specials and stuff, yeah. it's not nearly as bad. I guess yeah. If you're watching a lot of like episodes or something like that, like I see a lot of people do, Tales in the Crypt, Tales in the Dark Side, Twilight Zone. You know, if you're padding it out put, po- and if you're using shorter films, mm-hmm. an hour and a half and some horror films. Uh, run pretty lean but i just still feel like um i i just catch up with stuff i think that's why i, I probably mentioned a couple of times i'm more dedicated to going to see movies in the theater where my attention can't be diverted by my phone or anything else like i can just be more engulfed by films. that's true these days so
0: well and adam
1: was about to say something
0: oh we i'm sorry off. huh what you you were saying something we cut you
2: off oh. i'm so sorry
1: yes adam. Do you want the uh, Too Fat to Ride update? Oh, oh sure, yeah, sure, yeah, did. sure, sure. We
2: didn't that. Because
1: two weeks ago, I was at, uh, do you remember? 283. Oh, yeah. wow. You guys actually listened to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, 283.6. Uh, now it's been two weeks on my weigh-in date. I'm at 273.4. That's wow. awesome, man.
2: Congrats. There you go. Cue the applause. Of- Cue so, the golf clap.
1: Yeah. yeah, hopefully I can keep that up. The
2: pop up That's pretty clap. impressive, man. So what are you doing exercise, diet, mix of? Because I know you mentioned on the last one, you said you were working on the diet portion first to then move forward with the exercise.
1: Mm-hmm. Now that it's been two weeks, now I start introducing the exercise. There you Good. go.
2: Congratulations, man. Mm-hmm. Well earned.
1: Thank yes. I just wanted to get that out of the way in case anybody was on pins and needles from the last episode wanting to know my update. Yeah, there we go. I well, probably I wouldn't think, have been, like, really happy to express that if I was, like, five pounds over. Oh, yeah. To expect, I
2: but. think that earns a silver spear. What the hell is oh, that? Oh, look at that. Kirby just gave
0: Adam one of the oh Mondo Phantasm. No, really? Spears. pins. Yes.
2: Actually, that was, uh, it is in recognition of Adam's accomplishment, but he actually was kind enough to pick me up a Treehouse of Horror, one from Halloween Horror Nights, so.
1: That's only fair. I Thank do you.
2: believe we we have a good pin exchange going.
1: <laughs> oh, God, what did I just start? Pin Well, now we're even pin. right now, so yes, yeah, so you guys see, are even. It really could just be stopped right there.
2: Mm-hmm. It was also just so I could say it was a silver sphere award, oh yeah, you tie that yeah in. No, that, that you're Nicely, my but- silver sphere. <laughs> I do. I have seen some great um, horror Valentine cards and serial killer ones over the years on the internet that I do think are pretty good, And but I don't think I've seen a, You're My I Silver know. Sphere yet, so I, I was, that's a
0: good one. I was joking yesterday with uh, Ruby that when we do the crow for Halloween, eventually the VIP tickets should include Devil's Night Greeting cards.
2: Oh, that's a good one. Ruby makes oh, awesome yeah. green yeah. cards if you've never seen them.
0: Yeah. But, uh, no. And then, uh... Yeah, so clearly, I guess we're all on the tip of. We've just been doing a lot of random stuff lately.
2: I really kind of thought that was going to segue into when Ruby and I have our crow themed wedding or <laughs> something like that, and I kind of got excited. Yeah, I don't know. So we we're talking about val, or I was talking about Valentine's Day, but I guess you know. Yeah, that'll be the dream.
0: <laughs> You're funny, but I think I, I was going to segue into back backtrack into the movie discussion on just you know.
2: Yeah. Did anybody do We were talking Halloween? for about
0: 10 minutes about movies before it started, <laughs> and now we're all kind of like, oh, right, we had stuff to talk
2: about. Well, did anybody <laughs> do anything specific? Did you guys on the, the original topic that I start off with, did anybody do – I mean, you just talked about that kind of binge you did on the, the movies, but do you guys make any effort to do a more Halloween or horror-centric viewing month? I know we all watch horror movies pretty regularly. But. It was
0: funny because, like, I was talking to Ruby about this yesterday because she was like, oh, what What are some horror movies or scary things you watch during Halloween? And I was just thinking, like, you know, I feel like I used to do this, but I don't really do it anymore just because we watch so many yeah. horror movies constantly. I went to that um inter- the Phoenix International Horror – what – do you know the right name for the it? The International
2: I mean, Horror and Sci Fi Film Festival at the Phoenix International Film horror Festival. Horror
0: showcase thing they had.
2: Oh, do they have something separate now? No, they did
0: something like two a week ago or two weeks ago where they were showing three movies, like one each day of the week. I went oh. to one of them because they showed um they showed The Monster on one night. They showed Let Her Out on the second and the third. They did uh Sadako versus Kayako. If I even said that right, I think I did. I went to the one for Letter Out. Place your bets. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Letter Out was really bad. It's a uh, kind of a this this girl who's a bike courier in Canada, in Toronto, which must be the job for every girl of a certain age, as Scott Pilgrim probably taught us. Uh, she gets hit by a car, and then she goes to a hospital where she finds out she had a malformed twin that she ate in the womb and it's living in her head and it had a baby spinal cord and the accident even though she was wearing a helmet connected the cord to her brain so she's fighting for control with the malformed twin and then you wonder if it's a psychological thing it rips off jacob's ladder i
2: was just gonna say pretty
0: hardcore and then after that it really rips off uh this 1993 drew barrymore movie called doppelganger the evil within i was really bummed out by it It had a really cool how poster. to get ahead in business yes there so that probably would have been a better title for it it feels like one of those movies where there was more than one supporting character but then they combined it because of budget reasons so she's really comforting in some parts and then she's a super bitch and it really takes you out of the moment the whole time hmm so, yeah, that. How were the other two? Uh, I didn't go to the other two. I had friends who went and they said both of them sucked.
2: I saw the um, trailers at um, Beyond Fest. Yeah. And uh, none of them really blew me away. So I wasn't dying to see any of them.
0: Yeah. I, like, it was more along the lines of, like, oh, I'll check it out and see what the horror sci fi is up to. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't super into it. I just was kind of bummed out.
2: I, I. Really haven't checked out any of the International Horn Sci fi I think
0: Jen went to Satan yeah. versus Yeah, she, was, she
2: really wanted I don't want to go or mentioned it. But for me it's um I I think it's just going to so many film fests now that I just catch so many of these films or they're already on VOD or whatever it is. So it's or I pre them if I'm really interested. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to keep up on um. Uh, Which I believe in supporting the local film fest and stuff. But I noticed I haven't been to a lot of these events as much as I used to. It's kind of like...
0: There's just not that many of them. Oh, okay. I should be remiss in that. Um, Because we did go to two of them. We just didn't talk about them. Um, So I was one of the judges for our friend Hal Astell's... uh,
2: Oh, Apocalypse Later. The
0: Apocalypse Later Film Festival, which is a short film thing. Um, A short film festival and we had at the Phoenix Center of the Arts I don't remember what day it was. It was a couple of days before this thing. Yeah. Oh, it was October 15th. And uh, I watched all those shorts since I had to. Um, uh, and there, there was an interesting mix, a lot of ones from Spain. Um, I think the one that won the sci-fi, I thought should have won the horror, was called Roadside Attractions. And it was about this uh, like a guy who picks up a girl and it turns out uh, – things aren't what they seem it's kind of a succubus thing oh that's cool yeah so it's pretty interesting
2: well i mentioned i think on the last one that i did check out um phoenix FearCon, and um i didn't get to do a huge mice really um got to see the one shorts block but it was really really good in fact every single short in it was good it's um and that's the reason i used to always go to um phoenix film fest and uh the old FearCon installments was uh, mainly just for short films. Yeah. Because I feel like I got my value out as opposed to when I take a risk on the features. A lot of them I just wasn't. Yeah. Before I, I was, when I was paying. Yeah. I talked
0: it. to Hal afterwards and he says uh, next year they're going to expand that festival to two days and uh, have features. So, you know, it sounds like that's something cool that's building up there. That's
2: awesome.
1: Hell yeah. Is that Hell's the one righteous. that used to be, wasn't it called uh, the Fangoria Fearcon uh, Phoenix Van- Fearcon became Fangoria,
0: Fangoria Fearcon. Fear
1: but didn't they just recently Yes, and then they Fangoria? just became
0: Phoenix Fearcon again. But I heard there's a lot of uh turmoil behind the scenes on that one.
2: It, it like I said, uh enjoyable entertainment at the fest. I was only able to stop by due to other obligations including um us showing beetlejuice that night mm-hmm. so i wasn't able to stay for the evening um as i had that prior obligation but i did check it out and stuff mean some good vendors and guests and everything it just yeah. um but i i what i was highlighting and that one was really the only um t- opportunity i had to check out the entertainment was the shorts and for me like i said that's just kind of what i'm into mostly um um uh, you know, is is a lot of those, and I actually got some bad news this week. As I've reported, and I know I did a review on Cult Falling for this last year's installment or this mo- this year's installment was. um I actually got the sad news that I've been going six years now to uh San Pedro Lovecraft Film Fest. Yeah, um, you like outside, that one, uh, Yeah, I at love the it. Warner. Yeah, at the Warner Grand, and um they actually uh, cancel it. It's done forever. It's, really? Yeah, it might be resurrected, but it, it's really doubtful. Um, in fact. Uh, they actually um, have, are having kind of a yard sale right now, and I actually bought some of the original stuff uh, from the website. Um, they had like the original banners and stuff they used. Wow! Um, you know, and um, I, I I had a lot of fun at that fest. I really enjoyed it. Um, Portland will continue on. It's in its twenty first year, just celebrated, but um, it looks like the, um, San San Pedro is kind of done. So as, that's a big bummer. Yeah, it's a really big bummer. But um, you know, that's why it's um, good to uh, support these small things. Yeah and, yeah, and they did experience support from the community there. I just think um, if you don't know where San Pedro is, it's it's about an hour outside, forty five minutes outside of you know Hollywood, and uh, at the end of the end of the line there on the one ten, and it's a it's a you know cool little seaside community kind of thing. Um, you know, it's near the uh, refinery, so it's a little. Uh, more rough and tumble in spots, but the Warner Grand is an absolutely beautiful theater and an awesome place. And and Aaron and Cody, uh, Aaron Vanek, C- Cody Goodfellow. Um, uh, I, I'm so sorry, Aaron. I forgot your wife's name. If you're listening by chance, but um, and the rest of the crew that's run that for the last few years, I think um, you know they've done an amazing job. I think it just got too big, mm. just too too big and too much money. I mean, they their Kickstarter was always successful, but you know you're talking. Um, you know, really nickel and diming it. I mean, they always set their Kickstarter very reasonable. I think like 10000 Um, 15000 yeah. um which um, – uh, that's probably another topic. You know, that's a topic we should have one of these other times is a topic on Kickstarters because I'd uh, love to, to have some rage. Oh, all I moments. thought you were going
0: to – about financing a film festival. I thought that's where you were going, not Kickstarter.
2: Well – we may be able to tie it all together with the Crow theme <laughs> wing. But it's, uh, no, but that's another great one is um, maybe we could have Hal or one of these folks on, as we have lots of friends who've done film festivals mm-hmm. um, and see, um, get their thoughts one of these days. But um, did you want to run down the rest of what you've been checking out,
0: um, Victor? I w- I'm trying to remember if they were, and in- because I want to actually, I want to give Hal a shout out just because, uh, you know that. Yeah. Putting that together is a big thing, and
2: Hal rules, man.
0: Um, that that roadside attraction short was really good. I'm just I'm having problems. It's because it's been a few weeks trying to remember the other ones. Which one won? That that one won the sci-fi, although I thought it was very horror oriented. And there was this other one uh, that won the horror. It had a really odd name. It was like your gunt doll. I think that's what it was called. And it's like twenty something minutes long. And the whole thing looks like a German expressionist like 1920 short. Like it looks like they spent some money and everything to get it looking good in black and white and everything. Um and it was really cool. Like I honestly I gave it the win just because of the production value. I think both of them might be on Vimeo, so you might want to check them out. It's cool. Yeah. Um, Trying to think what else did we um, do or watch. Um, We did uh, Beetlejuice and uh, Lucha Underground
2: did a show
0: here at the State Fair the other day. And uh, we went to that. And uh, it was really cool. Like uh, just a Titan in Halloween, the main event was uh, Pentagon Dark versus Mew Muerta. So basically you have a zombie versus a ninja skeleton. And they had a 20-minute match, and it was super fun. Then I think a couple of days after that, Ghost did a show at um, the Comerica Theater. And we did that show too, and that was super fun. I wondered why they were doing Comerica, and I realized it's because they had all this, like, pyro. And that's probably the only place in town a band of their size could kind of, like, do, like— because they had, like, flamethrowers that shot up on stage and they had, like, mini explosions and stuff. It was really cool. Um, You know, and for those who aren't familiar with Ghost, they do this kind of, uh, you know, they have, like, a gimmick where they're, like, a satanic cult. And his lead singer is, like, the third of the line of satanic popes. And his henchmen are the nameless ghouls who are kind of, like, the cardinals, sort of.
2: Yeah, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they kind of create their own mythology. It's, um, I think, the third, third time I've seen them, and um, they're always a lot of fun. It's always a really enjoyable show. The only thing I found funny is it's the first time I've ever seen ghosts sitting uh, within a place with seats, and everyone I, stood up. And I, I know
0: like, I was annoyed by that because I really wanted to sit down, and then everyone was started standing. I was like, come on, man. But I realized, like, I went to see Sonic Youth at the Veterans Administration Auditorium. In LA in 1999, and the whole thing is this old school like Art Deco auditorium, and everyone was standing on the armrests. I remember that clear as day. I'm like, they made it almost impossible for you to stand, yet you still found a way.
2: Yeah, I mean, it sucks when it's at a show. I mean, like, I mean, I remember seeing the Deftones years and years ago. This had been 18 years ago. With uh, it was with Snapcase and Quicksand in Seattle. Is that a venue called was that the show box is more theater Mm. and they um you know it only had like this tiny little pit area for if people wanted to mosh and i just remember of course like literally within the first 10 minutes of the deftones playing all seats start getting ripped out and stuff and everyone else was just standing up and it's like well this was probably not the best venue to have this at Um, but, um, you know, when it's a band like Ghost, I mean, really, you don't need to. There's no reason to. If everybody stood, sat down, I mean, you could still see everything clearly. I mean, they're all designed that, like, Comerica and a lot are designed to do slanted.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the so thing it's that like irritated slanted, me about um, it because they have a huge pit section. So if you wanted to stand, go stand in the standing area, you know, don't stand. And then the guy in front of us. Um, was wearing a fedora. The for almost the whole show, it was super obnoxious. I'm just saying, let hipsters need to die. That's all.
2: All right, man, hipster genocide. Next, <laughs> next, next episode of Following. falling. Yeah, um, you know, Just to wrap up, but I yeah, feel no. I
0: feel like I'm blathering on. So just kind of wrap no,
2: no. It was it was a good show and stuff. I mean, Ghost is a lot of fun. Always, it's just it's one of those – it's good to see them. They're getting so big now, but it's um. One of those ones where yeah, that was my only real complaint. They played a great set. Yeah. The only one I always wish is they have never played um Waiting for the Night, which I've always died been dying to hear live. I think that's one of my favorite ones they do, uh, off the first cover CD. Yeah. And um
0: No, I like yeah, I, I was I always ho- was hoping that they would do if you have ghosts, but I've heard them do that live, so I'm kinda good with it.
2: Yeah, same with me.
0: Okay. No, um, I've seen a few movies. I'll just run through it really quickly because sure. like, I saw Letter Out. That one was not good. Um, the Accountant, if you haven't seen that, go see that because that's clearly um, this year's John Wick. Um, it's kind of like autistic Batman. That's all I can kind of describe it as. And The Punisher is his brother. And re- it's it's just a super weird movie that, like, shouldn't work, yet it does on, like, every level. Mm. It shouldn't work at all. The only reason this movie works is, I, like, to me, I, like, I credit Gavin O'Connor because he really knows how to write these, like, brotherly conflicts. He did that movie Warrior a few years ago with Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy where they're both brothers who are competing in an MMA tournament. And it's a really good movie that's just, like, about competition and, like, estranged family. I, I just I found that really interesting. And there's a lot of that in this movie, too, with a lot of, like, really weird elements. And it's also nice to see John Lithgow playing a villain again. Because, like, I like him as a villain rather than as, like, kindly father. That seems to be, like, the only things he gets cast as, basically. Yeah, the but that's Dexter. always
2: true. What? Yeah. Not Dexter well, yeah. villain but or Dexter kindly father. Raising Kane and then gotcha. he's yeah. and then he's uh third rock from the sun. Yeah. He that's true. He is one or the other, but that's the way a lot of those um people work. They work yeah. really well as villains. It's I actually um somebody pointed out that uh uh, you know, it was a John Candy's birthday today, mm. and you know it's you know his anniversary of his death now. It's 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 been a while, and it's one of those ones where you know he's left a huge absence from his death to me. He's always one of those actors, but there's guys that I always think the some of the funniest individuals um, do make the best villains. Yeah. I, I truly believe that. Um, You know, some people, you know, whatever you think about the movie, I really thought like Robin Williams and like One Hour Photo. Oh, yeah, um, that's a really creepy movie. He's really unsettling. I think um, John Lithgow is a pro. One guy I wish had gotten more opportunities to do it also at an early death was um, the only – you only got to see a little bit was John Ritter. I always thought was really – um, even he just being even an asshole. I remember in like Bride of Chucky, yeah, as the sheriff. I always thought he was great. Like, and I wish he had gotten to do more roles. Where
0: I've seen a few things where he played a villain. Yeah, and nowhere he played like this weird, uh, like evil televangelist. Yeah, and he, on an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that one's really disturbing. It's called. I'm trying to remember what it was called, but he. I can't even describe without giving away. It's in the second season. Just find his episode. It's really yeah. good.
2: No, he did get to do some. Yeah. He's just one of those ones, but it just circles back to the idea that comedians yeah. were really, really good. Um, I think really funny people make really evil people. It just, yeah. For some reason, it just works.
0: Um. Just like it's, – it makes me sad I have to go this far back because I still haven't talked about it. Uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, Terrible. Yeah, I just... I wanted to really like that movie. The first half of it seemed... Boring. Seemed like he was trying to channel old Tim Burton. Because Olan Jones is in it. You know, the weird neighbor lady from Edward Scissorhands. And they use CGI to make this neighborhood that looks just like the neighborhood from Edward Scissorhands. And then it turns into this, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory kind of sci-fi thing that just... I don't know. I don't know. The kids stuff just didn't really do anything for me.
2: Boring. <laughs> I, I guess Disappointing.
1: I, I never as
2: as as the topic at hand here as our uh announcer has uh it will chime in. Uh but no, I think that um you know, since the the Harry Potter and the young adult Onslaught of the late '90s, early aughts has has continued on. I mean, going on almost 20 years now. Is is that, um, you know, everybody's looking for the next Harry Potter. Everybody's looking for the next big thing. And you look at but a it was lot so of
1: them, safe.
2: Yeah, but that's but that's with a lot. Of them. I mean, I think uh, you know, they've done a few other ones: the Lemony Snicket, the Spiderwick Chronicles. Um, they've done a few others, and the only one I mean, I think that might even. Have any chance, of course, is this fantastic beast. There's some potential. I'm seeing that in a couple weeks.
0: No, next week. I'm seeing Doctor Strange tomorrow. Which I... I, Like, my expectation level on that is on the bottom. You're
2: such a cumber, bitch. Just admit it. No, I'm just...
0: (laughs) I'm just saying, I don't know what to expect from that movie. So I'm setting realistic
2: bar. Is that what I'm looking for? Levels. It is what it is. Sure.
0: But uh you saw Ouija the other day, right?
2: Uh, yeah, I saw that I there's a review up now on cultfalling.co. Um and uh that was really enjoyable actually. Um I no he's far from perfect or anything, but if you saw the abortion that was the original, um, you definitely know what I meant. it, it just didn't the original just didn't work and in this one, um I really like the director. He's done um I'm so sorry, his name has slipped in my mind. But he did um he did Absentia, which oh, actually – Oh, Mike Flanagan. Yeah, Phil, Mike,
0: Is that it? Mike Flanagan. Flanagan, yes. Flanagan,
2: yeah. And he did Absentia, which actually our friend Hal is one who recommended I see at one of the really old Phoenix Film Fests. This had been like 2010. Um, and I love that movie. I think it's brilliant. And yeah. then um, he did a really – He has
0: another film that's been on the shelf for a long time that was supposed to come out yeah. a few weeks ago called Before I Wake.
2: Yeah, and that's – I've seen that already. It.
0: Yeah, but and that that's one's been um, kind
2: of eh. That one's now uh, limbo, limbo because of the production or from the releasing company. Uh, which Relativity, is relatively going yeah. under. But um, I uh, and I really, I actually did enjoy Oculus as well. So um, you know, I think he brought a lot of his own ideas into this, but you know, they obviously flesh out the mythology, which is only loosely hinted at in the original. And I just think it makes it better, but. um Great performances. Um, you know, you have to like these kind of movies. I, and it is the Blumhouse kind of style, these Conjuring, Insidious. They're not something I consider like, oh, my God, this is the most amazing film, and I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. But we're, I'm pretty jaded on most modern horror and um,
0: – You're jaded. Yeah. Well, then I'm, I must <laughs> be like the hermit who lives on <laughs> the hill.
2: <laughs> yeah. You're, you pretty much have have, have gone full uh, recluse. Yeah. I am um, – I'm only. I'm still visiting town sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, for supplies. Uh, no, I mean I'm not as as, as ambivalent and, and hateful regarding a lot of the output that's coming out or has been. I just feel that uh, you know it's starting to fall into the patterns um, again, where it's now just like the post-scream era, where you know it's all it gets very generic and cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. But then occasionally some of the ideas that are coming out. I like them. I, I think they're pretty good. Well, I mean,
0: clearly, Bloomhouse had a lot of faith in this movie. And, like, you know, because uh, this and Rings were supposed to come out on the same day. And uh, apparently, after, you know, people saw this movie, they scared Rings off until next year. Yeah,
2: that's what I heard.
0: Yeah, that doesn't come out till dump month. So now that's where my expectations for Rings are mm. February horror. That's pretty.
2: Yeah, it's pretty bad. It comes
0: out the same day as John Wick too. That's all I'm saying. I know what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I think most Drops people Drops the pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, I don't know, the whole John Wick thing too is just that, you know, you look at all these other movies, you know, the redoing the westerns, the Valley of Violence, the Magnificent 7, um uh, which I did see as well, and I agree with Adam's assessment. His reviews of that is up on cultfollowing.co. I felt pretty similar regarding that one. But I do think a lot of these, um I haven't seen did either of you see the Mel Gibson one yet? Uh the Hacksaw Ridge. No, no, no. The one where he's the father, the vengeful. Dude, I started watching that like the other night. Like I'm like I'm like twenty minutes into it and I really like it so far. Yeah. That one is I, I just feel like like what I was saying with the John Wick thing that the um the revenge kind of film, the Going back to that style, this game really popular again. Yeah, I'll again. probably
0: post a review of it this week because really? I'm really liking it so far. I, I didn't think I would, and then I'm like – because he's really good in it. He's really good in it. And uh, William H. Macy is in it too. Like, I guess they're like uh, both in the same – like um, Trailer Park
2: or whatever. No, like
0: AA group
2: or whatever. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I saw the, the thing by – Yeah.
0: So I was like, oh, okay, God, I really need to finish watching this, but I got sidetracked by all the Halloween stuff. Adam. What? What movies have you watched, Adam?
1: So while you guys were at Ghost, I was at Nick Offerman. Oh, how was that? I've heard that was fun. I mean, it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's a, I, I, it's been a long time that I've been to like a, a meet and greet book reading type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, there's only so much you can do with that concept, I suppose. You know, he comes out on stage and he goes, you know, this is a really good book should buy it. Oh, everyone here has it. You know, he kind of t- did some anecdotes, uh-huh. took some Q&A, probably uh, not much more than like an hour worth, like half and half between him just rapping on stage and then taking questions from the audience. Uh, and then you had the the book signing because it, it was all one package. You could buy different tiers or whatever. Uh, I went with the $50 package that gave you the $35 book, hardcover book, mm-hmm. and two tickets. So you got okay. one book and then two adult tickets. Um, and that was at uh, Mesa Center for the Arts. I, I love that place. It's such I could a just good go venue. That's where we saw
0: John Carpenter. Yeah. yeah
1: really um, good venue. This was in the smaller theater just right next door. But anyway, regardless, it was still sold out. Um, he didn't allow photographs at the signing table. That's strange. He didn't want the the moment to be ruined by social media. He wanted it to be a memory in your head. Mm. In so many words, he he put it more eloquently. Um, but that was like a real Ron Swanson moment for him to say that that he didn't want you know people uh, taking out their phones, pictures. It was a big time saver because you know you've seen some of those some of the people that go up there. And he was only signing the book. He wasn't nothing extra, else, nothing yeah. else. Uh, he did talk to us just for a little bit because he found out that we're, uh, Ann said that we're from the Midwest as well. And, uh, you know, we mentioned Minneapolis and he said that he just shot a movie up there that's coming out next year.
2: Mm. Right now
1: it escapes my, my head, but he said he's really proud of it. Uh, so we'll have to check that out when it comes out or mention it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. He was, he seemed like a nice guy. He's four years older than me, but he looked much older i thought he was really old he looks old yeah no he he really had the crow's feet and i mean his eyes yeah. i mean were like really a lot a lot of uh lines and everything but you know people age differently yeah and you always kind of saw that as ron swanson he kind of you know his eye he has he has those, those really heavy set um bags mm-hmm. eyes eyes and everything so grumpy cat makes thing sense. going on um but, uh, <laughs> grum, grum. yeah, I suppose I could see that. Uh, Let's but, compare you know, our
2: favorite celebrities to me.
1: <laughs> but the book is really interesting, and it's, it's funny, and it's tongue-in-cheek, and it's kind of multimedia, which I like, so it's not... Uh, Just, you know, reading a, you know, page after page. It's actually a functional book. So he does go over how to make different woodworking pieces Mm. with the other people that are, that he works with at his woodworking shop in California. So that's pretty cool. Uh, As far as movies go, I'm kind of dipping back. I I, I left some stuff on the sidelines from probably like a month ago. So this is, I don't know if this will be antiquated or not. Uh, Alice Through the Looking Glass. I did see that. Oh. A little while ago. Kind of going on the book thing. Does and it stuff.
0: feel at all like a Tim Burton movie, even though he's not
1: involved? He's just I think he was just producer on it, obviously, but he didn't have anything to do yeah. with it. Um in some ways it does, but the th- the thing about this one is it's more geared toward I would say like eleven year olds. I think an eleven year old would love this movie. Mm. As an adult, it just was really tiresome. Uh, I don't know. Maybe Johnny Depp is kind of getting on my skin a little bit. I think
0: Johnny Depp's moment has come and gone. He's getting into that Jim Carrey
1: period of his career right now. He needs to lay back or something. Do something, like, really crazy. Anyways.
2: I just imagine the victor, like, at the head of the board me of the talent (laughs) agency going, oh, it's getting a little Jim Carrey here, so... (laughs) We're gonna yeah, no, have he's... to. You want a number twenty three? You already got it lined up. But <laughs> he's, he's gonna... sending
1: out those Sony emails like left and right. hmm. Uh, doomed. The untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four.
0: Oh, I've heard of that, but I didn't watch it. Is it the same guy who did uh, Superman Lives or no?
1: I. You know what? I don't know but uh i'm writing that one down i really
2: want to see that yeah i've
1: been waiting for a long time because it was kind of in development hell or and it was a holding pattern because they they they're really it was they were getting it was a really hard time for them to get uh even the okay to show footage from the what was it 1992 three version of uh fantastic four yeah just a really good documentary on filmmaking um
0: I really wish they would do one of these on all the Hellraiser reboots they keep doing just to h-
2: keep their stranglehold on the rights. Yeah. I think that um, – well, the one they did – they've shown production photos for um, and it looks awful. And I mean people go, oh, that's not saying much. But I'm like, no, it looks really bad. Like where they've – they're not even Cenobites anymore. They're like haunt actors. Like yeah. it's the butcher and the something else. And I'm sitting here looking at these pictures going, this – Literally looks like, yeah, like your standard stock Rob Zombie I, villain or something. Because that's the whole
0: thing. Like, I feel there hasn't been a, an actual Hellraiser movie since, like,
2: Bloodlines. Bloodline was the last theatrical really release. Yeah, Hell, and Hellraiser every other movie. one
0: has been basically like they're doing with the Cloverfield movies where they're just grabbing a script from the pile and sticking a Cenobite in it.
2: Yep, and that's exactly yeah. what they're yeah. doing. And they are, yes, try, literally trying to retain the rights. So this next one that's coming out will be um, – and they, they've done the same with a few other ones. I mean people even forget like um, you know, a lot more Dimension films where yeah. it's like a of the Corn. They oh, did yeah. that Genesis and the Sci-Fi Channel reboot just to hold on to the name for another whatever few years. They'll they'll right. probably make another one. Um, and it's, it, it's one of those things where um, – I know there was a discussion when the original, the um, it, it's escaped me, I don't remember, we both bought it, the uh, British documentary on the first two films. Oh, yeah. I yeah. just can't remember. The Leviathan. <laughs> Leviathan, that okay. was it. Leviathan, w- there was talks originally that that film was supposed to be covering the whole um series, and then the folks who do did uh, Never Sleep Again and Chris Lake Memories. Mm-hmm. Um, These are a uh, horror movie documentaries. documentaries. Yeah, they were going to do. Um, that was going to be one of their next ones, and I I don't know if it's still in development. Um, there's definitely been you know a lot of people racing to do um retrospectives on films or full length documentaries because oh, yeah. I a lot of them I know have been um. You know, some it's easier when it's only one or two films. Like they just, that company just did Fright Night, mm-hmm. which covers both films, uh, not any of the reboots, of course. But, um, you know, a lot of the other series, or they have been done. I mean, two companies did Scream, uh, they did the More Brains for the Return of the Living Dead series. And, um, You know, there's only a few other major series that I think they could really do. Well,
0: and the weird thing is I remember when they first started doing these, I was like, is it too soon to do these? But then I realized most of these movies, for the most part, are, like, becoming – like, they're out of print or are really hard to find now. Mm -hmm. You know, and you wouldn't think so because these are, like – who wouldn't have a copy of Dawn of the Dead? Try to find a copy of Dawn of the Dead or, you know, when they did the Document of the Dead documentary. And or try to find copies of like some of the Friday the thirteenth movies. I was just telling uh Kirby before the show, like if you find this cheapy, cheapy, like at, you know, there it's even in the Echo Pack, you know, the shittiest Creek, Blu-ray yeah. uh the shittiest Blu-ray case possible, Friday thirteenth, parts seven and eight, that'll set you back around seventy bucks. Like, should the Friday the thirteenth movies really be out of print?
2: That seems idiotic. Well, Paramount, I understand, I got the right back, but it's a great point. I mean, obviously, in a lot of these pricing on things, it's just, obviously, that's a, another discussion, which we've mentioned a few times, especially with collectors or low print run editions yeah. and stuff, but I think a big part of it is that, what you may I, I thought you were going to say, but I actually find to be true now, is, is that with a lot of these films, people are going, well, we should really do the documentary when, you know, they might do another film or mm-hmm. reboot or remake, and it's like... Well, we're now at six years for Nightmare on Elm Street and seven for Friday the 13th. So if they're going to make even another reboot reboot or remake, I mean, it's probably going to be close. Well, to, you know, Besides these seri- yeah. TV series and stuff, I mean, I honestly realistically don't see it for another three, four years maybe. So you'll be at the 10-year mark. Yeah. It's like how can you really wait anymore?
0: I still remember, I think it was three or four years ago, the people who do Supernatural. uh wanted to do an episode they ended up doing the episode but um it became more comical where they get sent into a movie and then they're in a friday the 13th movie at the fight jason and this is going to be a tv episode and it was right about to happen and uh, it was when the paramount warner deal was still going on and they're like no 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 we're gonna do a new friday the 13th movie next year like it's been four years since then
2: well if they were smart right now if they were really really smart this is the time to finally make Frey versus Jason versus Ash, yeah. Like and make Jeffrey Katz's comics, which are awesome, um, come to life because they're they're incredible. That series is one of my favorite comic stories ever. Um, so I hope so, but I don't think so. But with the Ash versus Evil Dead, I mean that, or at least you know, um, another crossover.
0: That so. is, oh, I just remember that is one other thing I saw last week was. Uh, Ash versus Evil Dead unrated edition which is a digital exclusive which is I don't really know how to feel about this cuz I kind of think that this is where uh this is where a lot of stuff is going to go once they stop trying to push physical media cuz this clearly would have sold well if they sold it as a blu-ray mm-hmm. cuz it's essentially a double dip you're getting the UK cut of Ash versus Evil Dead and I will say it is a much more cogent movie than the original. It's the same guy who did um, Don't Breathe, Fede Alvarez. Yeah. And it's like five minutes longer. But, man, do those minutes make a big difference. It's totally like a Batman versus Superman scenario where it pretty much changes the movie. Um, That stupid little intro at the beginning actually makes sense within the context of the movie. And to me... This speaks of how bad modern directors are, where uh, the, the the quote on the thing is like, oh, you know, this was my original version, and I cut it to the bone to be its storytelling best. So cutting it to the bone to modern directors is getting rid of all the character work. So you actually give a shit about these characters. The other funny thing is they left in an alternate ending where uh, Mia, Jane Levy's character, is walking down the road and then a man in a truck's. Uh, stops by to help her and pick her up. And, you know, it's funny. I interviewed Fede Alvarez at a junket for Evil Dead. They did at the Biltmore years ago. And he had told me about this scene. And basically the gist of the whole scene was because uh, getting, you know, uh, Bruce Campbell is super fucking busy. He's a busy guy. If you watch, like, a lot of the first season of Ash versus Evil Dead, you'll notice most of his scenes with Lucy Lawless, they're not in the same frame. Because it's not like they didn't really shoot together a lot of their stuff, okay? Right. So you can see this scene. She's on the side of the road. This truck pulls up, and like this, you know, there's like kind of like this inspirational sounding music, and you see this guy get out of the truck, open the door, and it pans over to him, and then it cuts to a scene of a regular looking guy and says, "Oh, miss, uh, let me help you." It's like you're right, sugar. You know, like really odd dialogue, and I realize. They clearly shot this scene as a plate for where they were going to stick Bruce Campbell as an older guy in the movie to tie it together. And then for some reason, they were never going to get – they never got around to getting Bruce to do this. And when I interviewed Fede Alvarez, it was before the original came out. he said, yeah, that's exactly – that he had shot this scene that was a plate for sticking Bruce Campbell in the context of the movie. But then Bruce was one of the producers and he decided against it. But they keep this in here as the kind of the mid-credits scene, and it doesn't make any sense if it's just some guy. Sure. Because he's just like driving around, and then her eyes open up, and that's it. They're not weird or anything. So the scene would have worked like she woke up, she senses deadites, and she's in a truck with Bruce Campbell. Clearly, that would have been the setup for the sequel if they had had it. Sure. Anyway, just a little tidbit. Didn't mean to throw off the conversation.
2: But I think what's really important is, um, in terms of that mythology, is I actually watched the Evil Head. Uh huh. What is that? <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. It's the porno for oh. the Evil Dead, porn parody. But no, it, yeah, it, yes. Anyway, no. I yeah. just thought that was interesting. No, 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 no. But it is. No, it's a good point and stuff. In that, I, I think a lot of people have been wondering where the, um, you know, where the sequel for that coming? Because I mean, the big part is is that in the end, with all these movies. Um, you know, just like anything else, it comes down to dollars and cents. Yeah, and all of them have been successful. Friday the Thirteenth, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Evil Dead—all of them have made a ton of money, way more than their production budget and promotional budget. But why do they not keep going? You know, it's a, t- a topic probably for another day. But in the end, I do think it's because of that. Um, you know, whatever there might be interference from certain things, or because of ineptitude. But the one thing that blows me away is you don't want to over you know over f- saturate but god if i had these properties i'd be, i mean it's like the star wars thing i mean that if i was running disney this would be my number one thing we're making a movie every year that is Hell, what's happening no yeah. that's what i'm saying yeah. we're gonna make a movie every two years i mean on a property where it has wide appeal every year or every two years when it maybe doesn't have as wide of appeal or isn't as big two to three years but i would never stop making it
0: yeah it's really stupid i remember when bride of chucky came out which i think was in 1999 98 yeah 98 yeah um and then they did the fiscal year for 99 i remember this being a big deal because i used to read trades a lot stacy snyder who's the head of universal pictures at the time um she like oh and our highest grossing film of the fiscal year was bride of chucky and as long as i'm the head of Universal Studios, that will never happen again because I'm ashamed that that's where we are. Not seeing this as a positive, it's like no, we have to put our money into other things so this doesn't happen again. you know and that's just executives don't really know what they're doing half the time.
2: But that's why and that's the whole thing is it's funny that that was Miramax and dimensions always a uh, best attribute was we're gonna make our prestige picture for the Oscars. And then we're going to make whatever the hell we want. It was the true one for us, one for them Yeah, mentality. And I, I wish studios at least would go back to that. Now they're just, we'll do whatever. It's not even we'll do whatever the fuck we want. We'll do whatever market research tells us to do. Yeah. To the worst degree because now you have social media involved. It's like, oh, yeah, that's going to track well.
0: And then a lot of it is based on what can we adapt in, you know, that places our thinking, which kind of gets us to the meat of our sandwich. See. Because there are good adaptations that aren't based on comic books, like the current economy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Adam, um, did I have any other ones? You were?
1: heisted my, you interrupted me right in my list and you went so, on, your, oh, on your tangent. So. I still have more stuff oh, on my Oh, go for list. it, go for That's it, go
2: for so it. Hard. My bad. You do too? Yeah, but mine's going to be, I'm going to run through mine super fast. Oh. I only got a few, but I'll, I'll let you guys. Yeah, thanks for asking, man.
0: I th- yeah, man, this is how we get on tangents here sometimes. <laughs> if we're not keeping track, they get away from us. Go on, go on. But I want no. I, won't mom, cut I want in to. Hear, I want to hear Adams. Yeah.
1: No, you guys already talked about Ash versus Evil Dead. Season two is out now. It's it's still just as good as it was. Uh, Super Cut Two coming soon. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I feel as passionate about it, um, as I did the first round.
0: Yeah, I'm a couple episodes behind.
1: Uh, I, I really wanted to talk about Exorcist 3 Legion cut. Oh. Is that out yet? Yes. Oh. Did you watch it yet? Yes, I did. Kerbals. So here's the thing. I am, I found it interesting, but it was disappointing Based on the source material, mm-hmm. I knew you guys. Were like say Brad <laughs> Dourif, everything about it was wonderful, and and all this stuff uh, when uh, with the extras when they were talking to him, there was some stuff that I learned that I didn't even know about the movie that he was discussing. I didn't know that they were trying to cut him completely out of the movie and have Jason what's his Miller. face, and Jason Miller, come back. They found out he was a drunk, and they couldn't. He couldn't
2: remember his lines. Couldn't
1: remember his lines, couldn't do the work. So then they said, oh, well, all this stuff that you've already shot, Brad Dourif, we can't use because now we changed the set... And But we need you to come out to L.A. now, as opposed to where did they film it originally? D.C. DC. Yeah. So now you, we need to have you come up and do all the pickup shots and basically everything all over again. And he's like, I, I basically tore my whole heart out and, and racked my brain to do it the first time in the most brilliant way I could. And that was the definitive way that I was acting that. Now I'm doing an acting part of an acting part. Yeah. And well,
0: maybe you should give a little background for people who haven't uh, seen, you know, our listeners. Like, uh, Brad Dourif was playing a character who was previously yes. played by Jason Miller. No,
2: it, yeah, it's kind of hard. Do you want? Do you want to explain? That's it? what
0: I'm saying. This you might need to explain it, this bit.
2: It's hard to explain. The Exorcist is directed by William Blatty, the original author of The Exorcist, and it was his adaptation of his novel. And as The Exorcist is my favorite movie. I mean, I can say that The Exorcist Legion is what this is retitled, even has the title card change, which is what yep. he didn't want it to be The Exorcist 3 because it doesn't involve an exorcism. Mm-hmm. They tacked that on because the studio wanted it. Um, and then they added, obviously, like the Jason Miller bit and stuff. Um, the, the big issue is that The Exorcist, it was always, uh, William Pierre Blatty was considered a supernatural detective story, not a horror movie and or horror novel he wanted the idea and this is the relationship between lee j cobb's character in the original exodus who plays uh, detective kinderman, kinderman lieutenant Kinderman, who was played by this woman george by george c scott and then um uh, there is a character father dyer who is um not played a real priest actually played father dyer i i feel super non-fanboy because i cannot remember his name off the top of my head but he um, obviously couldn't reprise his role, so they had um, Ed, uh – I can't remember his name either. <laughs> I'm the worst oxus <laughs> fan ever here. I am totally touting like I'm on Exodus Jeopardy, and I'm fucking up. But, um, but basically, it's just one of those things, and they made the film and – Played by Jason Miller. Jason Miller ha- was – it's hard to not give it away. Well, so maybe Adam got, got a better way without giving the whole plot away.
1: Well, you 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 you've touched on enough to where it's yeah. It's a detective, now you kind of get it. It's That's a detective just a story.
2: Background was
0: good.
1: There are certain murders that start happening again that are reminiscent of ones that happened. What was it? 30, twenty years, thirty years prior. Yeah, during the time of the original Exorcist movie with the Zodiac killer, Gemini. Gemini Killer, sorry. But who is kind of played stuff. like, yeah, like which is a this, little bit. Which is basically like, the same. It's their thing, version they, of it. They left certain elements of each murder out of the media so then they they could weed out all the crackpots. Well, there's some something so strange going on that the lieutenant's looking into and is pretty pretty open-minded but very frustrated by all the events discovers an individual that knows a little bit too much about all this and claims to be the Gemini killer, even though he seems self-contained and is not able uh, physically, as we know it, to perform these murders. But he knows all these details about these new murders that are happening and predicting the new ones. That's Brad Duriff's character. And what they did in the, the actual theatrical release is they release is they they wanted Jason Miller to kind of play a co-part in it where um I'm trying to think of like another example in a different movie that was kind of kind of in the same
0: mm. yeah I'm trying to think of one too
1: same kind of twist or kind of psychological mind fuck or something but uh, because of, I don't know, marketing or because of the the film companies, like you said, Kirby, they wanted a recognizable a face hook. or a hook yeah. or something like that. And they wanted to kind of put, uh,
2: connect the two, connect films.
1: the films, you know, in some way, but, uh, you know, it, it wasn't working. So then they had, they wanted to put Brad back in so, some capacity,
2: um, but the, they junked his footage pretty much. What they did is – and this is where I, Adam is 100% right on. It's one of those ones where you – it really does take – the performance that Brad Durf gives is amazing both in the theatrical and in the cut. But it's VHS dailies. Mm-hmm. And as you go from 35-millimeter stock to these VHS dailies – now, that's going to happen in some of these these restored films. Yeah. But it's – it's was very really jarring. Jarring. Yeah, it really takes away the impact. And it's very um, – I felt the ending is very abrupt. Uh, oh, I loved the ending. No, no, no. Uh, abrupt in the respect of um, it works with the story of what um, – I, no, I love the ending in terms of how – I know how Blatty's vision was. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is, is, is that – It makes sense, but it's one of those ones almost retrain your brain having watched the film because I still feel in the end, the ending is the same. You know, it's just that how it's reached there, how it reaches that point. Um, Right. You know, this is not – the bulk of the theatrical film is still there. It's just that the tacked-on studio exorcism – and there really is an exorcism, no spoilers – is an an additional character who is completely removed. Another priest, uh, Father Morning. He is not in this version at all, and he is kind. He is a distraction in the theatrical film because. Mm. But I I still like both versions. If this and this is where for me is the rub, and I will say on to Adam's point too. The supplementals in this are amazing. The backstories, they got so many individuals involved that really helped flesh it out. Yeah. Um, I almost wish I would watched the supplementals first before watching the movie. That's how I did it. Oh, see, I wish I had yep. done it that way. So I think I would have had even more appreciation. But then I had
1: to go back and watch them again because there are some details I even yeah. missed. And I said, oh, that's what he was talking
2: but about. But this is the last point I'll make on that. Maybe am has got some additional thoughts. Just very little bit. Very little um. The very little thing I will say is is that um, Adam and I are both huge Clyde Barker fans. I know Victor is as well. But, you know, they had – Exorcist 3 was made by Morgan Creek who also made Nightbreed. And Nightbreed got an amazing restoration. Mm -hmm. Um, The cabal cut, the midian, the definitive director's cut, Clyde Barker's original vision – for Nightbreed, um, instead of the slasher film, the studio tried to make it out to be a supernatural slasher, it became much more of the deep, um, dark fantasy that it was meant to be. And I enjoyed that a lot. And of course, it had the um, actual excised um, 35 millimeter footage lovingly restored. Right. And now, when they started looking for Nightbreed, I knew they'd eventually start hunting down for the Exodus 3 for the Legion cut. This is. I always knew this was coming and I'm very happy about that, that they finally worked so hard on this, but it feels like they're like, it's lost to time. And I just, I, I don't believe that if Nightbreed could be found, I believe Exodus 3 could be found. So I, I do have that, I guess a will stop on my last note is my hope that it'll still be found. Right. But it, if you are going to buy this version, it's still a great, um, version to check out. Um, but I mean, it is completely worth it solely for the supplementals. Right. Yes. I mean a hundred percent. Just just
0: on the tip you were just saying, I mean, I can't I've heard a lot of people on the horror DVD boards on Facebook make this same point. I to a certain degree, I don't think Scream Factory would have really bothered to promote this as like Legion the Restored if there was any chance they could have gotten 35 millimeter elements. I think part of it too is like Clay Barker is more of an auteur, so maybe somebody made an effort to keep that extra material that was excised.
2: It might be, but I'm I'm not. You know,
0: I might just happen, and I might be talking. I just I've heard people spew vitriol. I don't
1: think it's, but it's not like an intentional thing. Yeah, if that's the only thing that they found and they wanted to get it out there, it's. I don't think this is like one of those things where it's like a double dip. Yeah, attempt. I don't or think it's going to come. No, that no. that's not the way
2: I feel at all, and yeah. that's not the way I was intending. It's more of a hope and a dream, but yeah. I do believe that. Um, it does exist somewhere, uh, whether it's in a private collection or. And I wasn't somewhere. saying
1: that was a reflection of what you were saying. Yeah, that's true, what I'm true. saying is like the people yeah. are complaining, like, "Oh, come on, you know, it's got to be out there." Why I know. Why I know, they I know put and this I out? do.
0: I do. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I think part of it is I'm on these boards so much now, and we're getting so many treasure troves of things we're not getting anymore is that a lot of people
2: are becoming kind of spoiled and they think everything is out there. Oh, definitely. No, there's no doubt about that. That is 100% true. And I don't frequent all the same boards, but I do see a lot of the same line of um, entitlement. Yeah, that's that's, that's exactly
1: the word. Yeah. One of the joys, Other there, there were more performances, and I think it's just for the nostalgia's sake that I do like the theatrical release in many of Brad Dourif's interpretations, much better. I don't know if it's because you could see his face much better because of subtleties and the way that he changes and, you know, his, his tear that comes down. He's so great of doing tears, you know, on a drop of a dime that I was missing the performance. All I was hearing was the voice. So I was more so critiquing the voice because everything was in shadow As best as they could pull out of that the VHS copy, it just wasn't there. What I really did enjoy was the more scenes that he had with um, uh, with with his friend. Um, Why is his name escaping me? Uh, At the beginning, before um,
2: oh, uh, Kinderman with Dyer,
1: yeah, Dyer, Dyer. Uh, That they they showed more scenes with them just yeah. their relationship and their friendship which i loved i was just smiling the whole time um, and i loved the ending and i wish i would have it did feel really abrupt because it's not anything that i expected from i didn't you know i didn't know anything about the legion cut at all mm-hmm. like i said and they didn't give that away in any of the uh, supplemental material or extras um but the, what's nice about this whole box set is or not a box set, but just the two disc thing is it does have the full theatrical. Did you watch the theatrical?
2: I haven't had a chance yet? to watch the thea- I mean I've seen it many times. I have not had a chance to watch this um version on here just due to time constraints yeah um but um, I truly enjoy the theatrical version a lot and um, I did
1: too. I remember in the theater, and a lot of people had the same problem is the ending, yes. Uh, which was just like kind of cheese ball out of nowhere kind of thing and wasn't very satisfying like i said i really wish i could see just a really nice cleaned up version with the ending for the original ending uh <laughs> would just it would it's to me it's it's one of those like um uh like missed endings where you're like what the fuck mm. and that's it that movie i mean is it's a like up ending uh it's still one of my most favorite endings
2: and i will say finally that the um on that note too that i uh, and i've always said this that the exodus is my favorite film but the exodus 3 is a hell of a lot scarier i, I truly find it to be one of the most unnerving things and like you said a lot of that's from brad Dourif's performance mm-hmm. but i find the confessional scene to be one of the most unsettling things i've ever seen in a horror movie and there's a lot of people go oh god what about the nurse scene and i say not even close. I mean, and that's the power of voice work. Mm, and right. there's a lot of great. And that's what The Exorcist uh, 1 and 3 both have. It's yeah. a lot of great.
0: I know. I always kind of feel like Exorcist 2 should have been such a better movie. Richard Burton was totally wasted in that movie. Literally. He, yeah, that there well, needs to be a documentary well, about. Well, I mean, following. true. But all, like, I think his scenes, especially with Reagan at the end, like he has this like weird degree of like sincerity in that performance that like – if there had been a better script and he hadn't been so fucked up, and maybe if Linda Blair wasn't in it and they cut out all the psychic <laughs> shit and James Earl Jones. If it was a
1: completely different yes, movie. Yes,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> uh, anyone been watching Dirk Gently? No. This, this is, is kind, the kind first of a transic- I've heard of it. transition nope. into like, novel work. The uh, Douglas Adams book series, Dirk Gently. Mm, no. BBC America. It's, I don't uh, have that channel. It's about, um, uh, how do you even describe it? It's kind of like Doctor Who meets Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but there's something bigger that's happening in the universe, and the the individuals involved are like leaves in the wake of the universe's ocean, that everything is connected. hmm and everything happens for a reason that leads to one conclusion. Once that conclusion is complete, they move on. It's kind of like a reset button no. that goes on to something else. So it's, it's tongue-in-cheek. It's weird. It's funny. Uh, Fiona, Fiona Doro is in it. Oh, and, the daughter of Brad Dourif. Yes. Yeah. And uh, she is phenomenal in this. She mm. is creepy as hell. And just a solid performance.
0: I really liked her in the last Chucky movie. This one, she's
1: she's, she's she's crazy balls, mm-hmm. but it makes sense. But it's like grounded, like you, for somehow you, some way you can relate to her, even though she does like terrible, terrible things, mm. because she's just a leaf in the wake of the ocean of the universe. And I have to check that out. Yeah, have it. To check it. It's only like two episodes in, but its I think it's a lot of fun.
2: Mm-hmm. <sighs> Any other recent watches? Just so we can wrap that part up? I
1: don't know. what Westworld is good. Yeah. Uh, God, I love Westworld uh, so much. Walking Dead and Negan has been like beat into the God, ground. on episode. I and watched also, the first episode really of
0: season seven. It's straight garbage. I, you know, I, and I'm not going to get into a thing. I mean, you know, Nicotero's involved, so the effects are always going to be top notch. Mm-hmm. But you know, people—I'll say this: if you've read the comic at all, and this was too much for you, you probably should stop watching because it doesn't get any better.
2: Yeah, it only gets worse. Yeah, it's an, and and I—the the only thing I will say is, as a huge fan of the comic and a so-so watcher of the show—is is that. Um, yeah, I'll give up the effects. This is most gore I think I've ever seen on a mainstream broadcast. I don't know if it really is. I feel like Ashtrus's Evil Dead was much gorier. Well, that, well that's true, but I, yeah. I think there's an expectation of that one a little bit yeah. more. But this one got really close to the level of gore in the comic, and I'm a gorehound. I I love you know yeah. you know splatter madness. I, I don't. So.
0: I have no problem with the gore in this episode. I think more so the problem is. You know, Negan is a sadist, and the fact that the whole episode is just—it does go into that level of hostile like territory. where like, we know where this is going. You're just pl- drawing it out, just well. You,
1: you know you know what the aftermath of all this is. What? I didn't I didn't watch any of season six at all. Maybe a couple episodes, but I I'm kind of I've been I've been hot and cold with. Walking Dead, yeah. but I had to watch season seven, episode one to know what happened. I didn't even watch the uh, finale of six. I just knew what I should be expecting for yeah. seven to get this this kind of you know closure on it or whatever. See what happens. Got the whole basically the whole country like this. It, it knocked out like all the uh, um, you know watcher viewership numbers for any uh, basic cable ever. And everybody's complaining. It's like, oh, we had to wait so long and, you know, you bastards for dangling the carrot in front of our face, you know, and then pulling it away. They're going to be doing this every single season now. Now you're going to start seeing it even worse. Yeah. Now with all the shows.
0: Well, I mean, um, I'm trying to think of where the comic is going because I'm, I'm pretty sure they're not going to get to the, uh, what are, what do they call those guys? The ones who have the dead people skins on them?
2: Oh, God, yeah. I forget their name. I couldn't even remember Negan's group, the name. The until they say they, yeah. No, until he said the Saviors. But it's like the whole thing with the Negan story, my main thing and stuff, and I like Jeffrey Dean Morgan, but he's not Negan. I, I really – I'm sorry. He just isn't. No. He he just – he's not the well, right based... – If he was Gen- Jeffrey Dean Morgan as the comedian as Negan, Dude, I, I would be much more on board. There is – there in see, in that episode – the, the the
0: season premiere he says one of the lines the comedian says in Watchmen and it's totally a throwback like he's just playing the comedian
2: yeah but he just doesn't well, do it as, as smiley that's the only thing. people are like oh he's so he's so mean you get like these kind of casual viewers and stuff or the big fans of the show never the comment i'm like it's not just his physically imposing presence in the comics it's the way he does it it's not just sadism it's that he has such a firm belief in what he's doing, yeah. And it's and it's so difficult to like. Cap- well, put to apparently,
0: screen. like Henry Rollins, it was between him and Henry Rollins, and I think they made the wrong choice. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I I would have believed. Cause when Henry Rollins was on season two, I think it was, Sons The Sons of Anarchy, Anarchy, and he was playing that true believer, white supremacist. That's kind of what I thought. Cause even wearing hit Negan's outfit, it looks like he's a cosplayer. There's no reason for him to wear that like way too clean leather jacket and the red ascot. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you wearing that? You know Scooby-Do. Yeah, it's kind of stupid. But
2: yeah. There's, I don't
0: know. The only thing I'll say is that this bodes well for season 2 of preacher if they're letting the, them get away with that level true. of gore. And I'll be interested to see like uh you know other shows kind of run from it cuz we're at that halcyon point right now where the only thing you can't do on TV is say fuck.
2: Everything else is I think nudity still, okay. <laughs> still pretty verboten. I think nudity still pre-verboten, but that's that's not like, really No, not no yeah. I mean on on um cable, I i mean, on frontal, on you can full, show full behind. Pines, you know. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, hard the, cock. Boom, drop the pen. There you go. Next week, round table on hard cock. We'll see here.
0: <laughs> St- uh, Westworld shows a lot of cock, but that's I, I, premium. I mean,
2: that I, I'll honestly say, uh, one of the ones that I'll never forget was uh, Forgain Sarah Marshall. That oh, has got to yeah. be one of the most like. I mean, people literally like they're fucking like audible uni- gasp in unison just because I don't think anyone had ever seen it. But I mean, I've, you know, it's whatever. I mean, if it works for the story or comedic effect or whatever it is, I mean, I have absolutely no, absolutely no bias against it. I just think it's, um, you are, you just want to see more uh, of it. Just yeah. more, man, please, more. more cock. Okay, but, what's, what's, uh, huh? Oh, huh?
1: I, I did don't you know. have He's more? And yeah. hey, I got you oh, all yeah, riled yeah. up. Oh, yeah.
2: All riled up. <sighs> but, um, no, you know, I, I mentioned the Magnus and said Fearcon. We talked about all the rest of the stuff. The only other ones I'll quick mention, I'll run them down real fast, is just um, uh, I had the misfortune of seeing Huntsman, Winter's War. Yeah, it's frozen. Yeah, it's frozen say. with a Game of Thrones budget. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, I did see... Uh, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates? Seriously? Oh, so, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, dude, I watch anything, uh, man. It's, 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 it is what it is. Um, yeah, we are talking about Walking Dead. I will say I'm, I am I, don't hate it as much as some people do, but um, I'm definitely obviously not as impressed with this season of Scream Queens as Victor and I both brought. Yeah. They really should have just left it at the first season and called it a day. I,
0: I watched the first, like, three episodes, and it's just – yeah it's yeah. stupid i really yeah it's really not that good
2: Yeah. other than that the only other one uh quick mention here is um i just because i just want to say thanks to them since they're local is uh, uh michelle and Mantooth group and the nile theater um who put on uh within these walls fest um with judge and american nightmare this weekend past weekend saturday uh last saturday um and They've done this. this is the third one they've done. They've changed up the formula, but I just want to say this is an immense amount of work to do these kind of fests and um, I finally got to see Judge who I've wanted to see for probably 20 years. Um, so it was amazing to see literally like an icon, like one of the most legendary New York hardcore bands. Um, and I haven't seen American Nightmare in since I booked them in 2003 on their last tour. Um, they were amazing. Um, and a lot of great support, lo- lo- local support, um, and just a lot of fun. I also had a lot of fun at Creepy Crawl Ball, which is a, an annual Halloween covers um, show. Um, so just a lot, of, just thanks to local music scene, I guess. Um, and like I said, to those individuals' parties. Um, and then I did want to quick mention, because I just remembered I had written it down, was. Um, Just weird because I also saw the movie Room this year. Was um, I've been watching a lot of the A twenty four films, and I watched Into the Forest. Oh yeah, I've wanted to watch that one. Yeah, it's 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 not bad. It's it's not perfect or anything like that. There's things I was
0: surprised I didn't really get a wide release. Yeah,
2: it really. because it's like it's kind of like Z
0: for Zachariah, kind of right?
2: A little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, it actually, like I said, it reminds me most of Room actually, because it's very similar in terms of its, um, you know, one location largely, um, and you know, just two individuals carry the entire movie pretty much. Are um, they in a forest? They are in the forest, yes. Um, and it's Ellen Page, and I am so sorry, I don't remember her. the other actress's name.
0: It's another known actress. Yeah, so. another
2: no- well-known actress, but um, it's, it's an enjoyable film. The only thing I really liked about it was it's very, um, I'm not going to say it's super realistic, but I will say it had a realism that I truly enjoyed. And then, um, as I mentioned, mourning the um, loss of the Lovecraft Film Fest, the very last one I just want to quick bring up. Because um, encourage check out, especially if you have kids or want uh, or just enjoy um, dark fantasy animation, is um, Howard Phillips uh, or Howard Lovecraft and the Frozen Kingdom, which is um, based on a um, arcane comic book, arcane publishing comic book, and it's basically an imagining of Howard Phillips uh, uh, Phillips Lovecraft as a um, H.P. Lovecraft as a a young boy having adventures with his pet Cthulhu, Spot. Mm. Um, and it's you know it's not perfect or anything. I no. mean uh, but um, it, by any measure, but I did um, you know, it's something I probably would have wished for when I was a kid. Um, and uh, I saw the – they did the pre-production one at the last Lovecraft film fest in May and it did get released through Shout Factory. Again, nothing perfect but um, if you're a Lovecraft fan or maybe you have kids and want to have them some check out something different, Worth worth looking into. Yeah,
1: I was just bummed out by the animation.
2: Yeah, the yeah. animation is is rushed to say the least, and not um, very well developed. Do not expect any kind of Pixar or um, studio dude. Kubo and uh, the rest of those.
1: What it kind of remind me of like Veggie Tales in a little way. Yeah, oh, there is some, there's some
2: very low end animation, but the, <laughs> I, I was interested until you said that.
1: No, I, no, you should see it. Yeah. No, it,
2: it's still a good story well, it's and really enjoyable. Bad, it's just that yes, the animation. Um, and I really do feel like not only were they running on a very low budget, right, yeah, but also I think they rushed this one to get out because I saw the pre-production like a fifteen-minute trailer, which was literally the beginning of the film. That was in May, and this came out in September. Mm. So I'm pretty sure they, that's a pretty they, fast. They on. really rushed this yeah. one through on the animation tip, but. Um, all right. Speaking of, that was a, sc- a book to screen uh, oh, adaptation. Let's get to the meat here, so we can wrap this bad boy up. Wrap it. Go for it. No, 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 no. Oh, you guys go right so ahead. you know, when I was it-
1: thinking about, yeah, the, no, this was the, you know, this was my idea. When I was thinking about it, I was I was kind of uh, gravitating toward real, more like faithful books to screen. And when I started making my list of books, different things that I thought were faithful. Then I started thinking to myself of novels of the last maybe 20 to 25 years Uh have been written as though they are going to be optioned to be made into a movie or even, I think we even mentioned it one time a few weeks back that when people release a book these days, they also include the the movie options within the contract yeah true um so you, you like the bigger examples are like the Harry Potter books i mean you can't tell me that that you know wasn't optioned from like day 1 i mean the books really took off and encouraged the reading but uh especially with uh, uh after si- silence of the lambs with um oh what was his face who did that that uh thomas, thomas harris, harris. When he wrote Hannibal, it was such a polarizingly different writing style Mm -hmm. that you couldn't do anything more beyond that book that you weren't able to just take directly off the page and put it on the screen. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
1: I read the book when it came out and I think the movie came out like, well, like six months later, three months later. Uh, so he was basically writing the movie at the same time as writing the book, um, that it, every page was just lifted as opposed to something like fight club, which is really, really close to the book. There's maybe like a couple lines of dialogue that was changed just cause it worked better in the film. Cause I read fight club so many times and the end is different. Yeah. But, but yeah.
0: And also like Tyler doesn't say anything in the book. They just like split up his dialogue. Right. You know, like half the shit the narrator says is stuff that Tyler says to
1: him now. Yeah. You have your passion projects. You have your Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which there's a translation that just like pisses everybody off. Yeah. Um, why they couldn't, you know, people complaining that, why couldn't they do it in the same timeline? Uh, I. I barely got through those books, and I don't I don't even remember most of them. So when I saw the movie, I was just like, I'm just happy to see something on the big screen.
0: Yeah, I developed a big antipathy for J.R.R. Tolkien when I was in college. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, he's, <clears throat> aside from being a writer, he's also uh, a well-known um, academic critic. And uh, I remember we had to read his uh, criticisms and uh, – annotations for things when I took Milton all the time and mm-hmm. it got to be like, I don't agree with almost everything you're saying. You say you don't? Yeah. Like, no. I, I I, found it, I got to where I was finding his opinions really um, obnoxious mm-hmm. and it started translating to books he wrote where I just, like, I, I feel like he would write his books and then things he would find in other sources that he'd be writing about critically, like, it, if it conflicted or, touched on a subject he was writing on he would kind of be dismissive of it to a point where it felt like that's my pet you can't talk about it
1: oh sure yeah,
0: yeah. anyway well especially like he would uh big uh a lot of like uh stuff like beowulf because they took a lot of classes to explore that sort of like um you know writing of like big, epic poems yeah epic and... poems yeah, specifically poem because you know, that's part of like my English literature background, and he's a big, well-known uh, Beowulf scholar, and he got to you know basically the point where like I, I don't like you anymore, Tolkien.
1: <laughs> and I've always had issues if we were if I was in a literature class, only for the reason that I had to, that I had to take a literature class. I hate overanalyzing books. Yeah. Uh, what was the Franz Kafka? Uh, Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. The the book now actually has in the back the the criticism the I guess the or what would you call it not that but the um, there's
2: usually like essays and a like lot an, of like like the yeah, essays analytical discussion I mean I I guess if you're looking for I mean there's obviously just like film and music and most forms of art and expression the fact is 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 that we <laughs> Sometimes intentionally or un, and or unintentionally, it just varies on which individual it is. is. Is that you know we consider things high art or low brow, or we consider this mainstream? It's it's um, this and that. I mean, like when you talk about that, like um, books being overanalyzed, there's there's some you know a lot of things you know. You would have like a Harold Bloom on one end, and on the on the complete opposite end, you now have people who are are like fan fiction writers, you know, or discussion groups on message boards and stuff. I feel like with if you're talking about literature to film, you know, there's people who will go, "This is unfilmable," or this is something uh, like an unfilmable thing would be like Naked Lunch or Dune, Mm -hmm. or and you know a lot of these these classics and stuff like that that. Um, but you have people who will always say, you know that, um, you know. I mean, when I was in college, I remember that the one thing I remember in English literature was is that if you wanted to have a discussion group, there are people who've been talking about James Joyce for fifty fucking years. I mean, right. literally in a discussion yeah. group, and it's like oh. I got I have no aspirations for that or any designs on ever becoming that type of individual. Right? Maybe it would interest me down the line but it probably isn't going to so the way i look at it is is that you know people go well this is not very good and it's like you know it's people to make you feel like you're you know some kind of homer simpson instead of uh you know the it's it's like the mensa episode of of simpsons you know it's that that people get very you have to have this is for people who have uh who are critical thinkers or well-developed brains and it's like I always go back to Stephen King, who's arguably, I was going to say, the number one um, modern writer with adaptions. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a sink no, or it's swim. that's true. No. But he has always said that he lives by, um, you know, the code of it is the tale, not he who tells it. And and in the end, it, it should be about the tale. And if you like a story, I mean, they've, they've narrowed it down in, in um, studies that there's only like five topics that are going to be in narrative form, like right. five stories that have been told in different forms and variations for millennia. So we are at that point where, you know, if you're talking about, um, you know, the dawn of the silver screen and the, the um, you know, turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, uh, from talkies all the way up to now where we are at, to a lot of people, the apex of entertainment or whatever, you know, as, you know, depending on the decade, now you go, well... What's the greatest stories kind of told from this perspective? Because they either have been filmed at this time, or as Adam mentioned, they are going to be made because it's a tie-in. Yeah. So then, where you end up? So now it's kind of like you're going to see a lot of the same. It's like the AFI Top 100. Right. A lot of those are adaptations of classics of Western civilization. Well, especially
0: since uh, uh, you know the advent of film. They would go for books because those had a built-in audience. It's not like mounting a film production is inexpensive. That's actually the big problem we have now where uh, it's so expensive to make a film that you basically need to have some kind of hedge your bet by making it a licensed property to know you're going to have that built-in audience at least, which is why you're not going to see – uh, you know, a big screen adaptation of any of you know Joyce's work, you know, as as much as people are probably Jonesing for Finnegan's Wake or Ulysses or Portrait of the Artist as a young man, man. right? Finnegan's but Wake. Even a few the years one. ago, it's like, what was it, the Great Gatsby one? Was that Boz Luhrman who yeah. did that? I mean that's probably the closest you're going to get to a classic literature adaptation and I watched that and I, that was like one of my favorite books growing up and still the version they did in the 70s with Robert Redford is still much better.
2: So, so you went with your F Scott Fitzgerald chat group or something? What? <laughs> to the great No, Gatsby. I mean no, I'm just I'm yeah. messing with you, man. But, but you know, I went well, to right. the
0: theaters to see that cuz it's like that's one of those movies that you can relate to on a lot of levels because if you watch like The Godfather Part 2, um, the character that uh, Michael, go, you know, the Jewish guy, he, literally his character is the Jewish guy. Um, I can't remember his name. But basically, it's the same guy that uh, Gatsby's indebted to, you know. And so to me, it's like, oh, Godfather, Gatsby, I like these things. So clearly, it flowed in terms of my interest groups, you know. And then when I saw, you know, The Great Gatsby, I'm like, okay, well, here you go with DiCaprio clearly trying to broaden his appeal to get his long awaited oscar which he got like for revenant finally yeah um and it was just a very uh surface level bad movie that doesn't really say anything but it got toby maguire another job with his buddy
1: <laughs> with the buddy
2: with the buddy <laughs> um you know i mean i just y- yeah you kind of hit that point i the, the point about the films having to have them built in Budget. I mean, mm-hmm. that's spot on. So, I mean, in and, and a lot of films too, um, you know, most literature, you know, sci-fi and fantasy was pulp. It wasn't taken very seriously or it was very low budget. Yeah. So, you know, you didn't have to have, I mean, but, you know, most films were about human conditions, human yeah. interest stories. So you only needed people and the, the right scenery or an easy to make set. I mean, yeah
1: like uh the to kill a mockingbird yeah that's like that one, was one of my one of favorite, favorite ones films of. ever still holds up today i mean even on stage and and in other media yeah uh boy when are they gonna remake that on the screen
0: i'm sure once the harper lee estate finds somebody who's willing to do a uh, the knightsman you know movie she just or book she just did into an adaptation that like makes a Gregory Peck's character, a white supremacist.
2: I I never. You do you guys mind. know what I'm talking? No, about? No, 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 no. I never, I, I never, I never read, about. I, I never read, read, read the book because, I mean, arguably about the whole whether or not she actually wrote it or it was ghost written.
0: Well, either way, she lost law- enough control slipped from her estate yeah. that that book got out and kind of tainted.
2: Yeah, it did, and that's why I'm saying. Yeah, I, I and just, so that's
0: why I don't see that ever being made into a movie. Uh, you know, um, to catch a mockingbird or the newer version which from my I understand isn't even a book it's a
2: galley notes version of yeah and that's the way I've always understood yeah
1: oh and talk about that that bs with the uh uh JK Rowling releasing the book that she didn't even write that was basically the stage played
2: oh, oh the Scream- cursed child yeah 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 but that's because I mean, if I was J.K. Rowling, I mean, I would really rest on my laurels and my uh, dividends and residuals and just, just.
1: Well, she's already a, a philanthropist.
2: I mean, no, she I know that's what I mean. A, like, but I mean, I just don't fortune. think. You know, I mean, I I do think, but you, But I would feel
1: about, really gypped because it wasn't marketed for what it you. actually was. Is yeah. that's the only thing that I? Well, saying.
0: she's basically going the Michael Crichton route now, where uh, you know uh she that the new movie she has coming out a uh, fantastic beast and where to find them she's yep. writing those all for the screen right and there's right. gonna be five of them now
2: yeah but that also comes from generation entitlement which yeah. we already talked about too that's like you can't end here it has yeah. to keep going forever and it's like and in ways as also mentioned on this this episode that it's like the star wars thing yeah. if somebody wants to write the story and the intellectual property Uh, manager or uh, or, uh, you know uh, the uh, originator of it is it signs off on that's their choice it's not mine I mean or an estate like you said Mm -hmm. but I do think in terms of adaptations for um, you know I I think it kind of goes to where one of the points I was going to bring up is, is that obviously you have somebody like Clyde Barker who did Hellraiser a director because He was so sick of the way his his and we talked about this a bit on the last podcast. Yeah, transmutation, transmutation, and ride Rex. So it's like, um, but then there's also somebody like for me, you know, as I mentioned, like the King adaptations. You have somebody who's like a steward, like Frank Darabont. I mean, Shawshank, Green Mile, and Mist is a triple hit. Like that's that's a triple crown right there Mm -hmm. for me personally. Um, Stand by me. I mean, the whole different seasons. I even like the. Adaptation of App Pupil um, that uh, Brian Singer did. Yeah, I, I personally I, that one. I just wish they had, if they had done that now. Um, I don't even know if they could. But the um the, with the post Dark Knight kind of world and and people making darker movies quote unquote. I feel that's
0: one of those lost movies people just don't know about especially yeah. with, with Ian McKellen being in it like that other movie he did where he played James Whale that people seem to not know oh the one with
2: Bram Fraser yeah yeah the um Gods and Monsters yeah yep yeah, that was a good one too. that's yeah. a good movie um the um but yeah I mean I think that those are those um you know different seasons only has one book left now but. You know, you could say um, the Shining is you know one of those ones where uh, the film is probably more beloved, you know, because of its, a, of its accessibility and and widespread distribution. But there are people who still really love the book, and and King obviously has made his thoughts on Kubrick's film numerous times. Right?
0: Yeah, and then he had his own version, and, which is terrible.
2: Yeah. So it is what it is. But yeah. I mean, I I it's just funny you brought up Fight Club because the only other ones I could think of was something like American Psycho. Or obviously, like, A Silence of the Lambs and, you know, Kill a Mockingbird, The Godfather. we mentioned a few of them, but right. I just... No,
0: I mean, there's a lot of Brett Easton Ellis ones that are interesting because he did... There's There's been quite a few of them over, like, the recent decade. I think Rules of Attraction is really good because that's an adaptation of two of his books, basically. There's The Rules of Attraction, then there's a uh, movie within the movie that's about four minutes long. It's an adaptation of one of his other books called Glamorama, I like that movie. It's really good and a lot of people haven't seen it. Um, you know, Roger Avery, I think, never got his due. But I think once he uh, killed that person, vehicular manslaughter style, it's not like he was going to get another chance to really be an auteur again, you know. But, like, to me, I I feel that most people are most familiar with the book adaptations they see on TV. Like, the two biggest of the last couple of years have been, like, Hannibal and, Ga- and Game of Thrones, you know. And I think they both have the same overarching problem that you touched on with passion projects—that like the people involved in them are remixing, right? the The source material to kind of fit the the needs of the narrative.
1: Um, I mean, and the, I, and the media, whatever yeah. medium that it is.
0: You know, because I remember, like, uh, I was just talking about this uh, with Ruby the other day, how I think the first season of Hannibal is, like, awesome. It's so good. You know, all the stuff with Garrett Jacob Hobbs leading up to where Red Dragon should start. And then it kind of goes into this, like, Silence of the lambs direction that doesn't really make sense. And then you eventually they do an adaptation of Hannibal that's even worse than the movie.
1: Wow, it, right into the second season, like would— did you say with
0: that? The yeah, well, i have just kind of glossed over the I second. I watched the first one. Well, this, so. the first season is really good. The second season, um, Will goes to or at the end of the first season, Will goes to jail. He's framed by Hannibal, and then Hannibal kind of becomes the Will character, going along with Jack Crawford. And then uh, towards the end, that flips around, and then it so the half the second half of the season two starts to lay the groundwork for Hannibal, and has Michael Pitt playing uh Mason Verger. And then the first half of season three of Hannibal is of uh is Hannibal with, you know
2: these characters Yeah, with
0: these characters. Mm-hmm. characters. There's no um, Clarice characters, so Will Graham kind of plays a mishmash of them. Um and then the second half of season three is Red Dragon. And I was really excited about it. It had um Richard Armitage who was the head oh, of the, yeah. it, he was yep. uh the Red Dragon And Rutina Wesley from True Blood was um, the blind girl. And it was like – but then I felt like they were like racing right through it. Like this you could have spent a whole season or longer on. And they were just kind of like – Like he either really wasn't into that book or I don't know. But it ends on a cliffhanger and that's where the season ended. But they never ever had the rights to Slance of the Lamb. So that's where the show would have had to end anyway. Oh. So it's a really strange show, like, it, you know, and that's the problem with television adaptations that don't yeah. have a definitive. Yeah, ending. they
1: just they well that they yeah they don't they don't know if they're gonna last another season. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine what like writers and everybody else and producers are just like, okay, what can we get out that'll be like an ending we can be. It also speaks you know, too to with. the
2: idea of that Victor brought up of like, there's also this is I'm almost going back to the past. Of, of the kind of original golden age of cinemas is that we've completely gone back to the serial. Yeah, is That's how we're adapting written material.
0: Flash Gordon. It's really strange Commander too because I remember Joss Whedon was the first person who started the whole idea of serialized television shows with Buffy. And I remember when that started, I can't believe Joss Whedon is doing a serialized television show. How will people jump on if you haven't watched it? Because this was before the age of – binge watching and buying tv shows on dvd you know you had to make shit as accessible as possible right and now we're in this area where it's like oh you need to watch the first three seasons to understand what's up <laughs> go to you know go to
2: amazon or whatever right or netflix well that's part of the reason i mean you i mean you kind of talked about like the walking dead and stuff i mean we have such a culture now of spoilers and, and that's because of the internet and the ability to disseminate yeah you know big deals it's it's a uh, you know one of those ones but i mean i really feel like that's also because people are like well you better catch up fast yeah and also lending to the discussion about the um necessity of watching so much and it's like i i'm sorry i have other things going on i just don't have the time mean, um, you know it's a I, I make choices to watch certain stuff but it's kind of like you're saying it's like well if you want to catch up, you got to watch the first three seasons. It's not like, oh, I've got to watch well, the, one season. Yeah. I have to watch three to get to where I need to be. Otherwise, I have to – or I, ha- I just – like what a lot of people do. I've noticed people people just don't care. My brother is like the number one person who does this. He just reads the Wikipedia right. yeah. and then he just watches it. and yep. Or he takes, like you mentioned, with Daredevil season two, just taking – I'm pretty making a safe assumption. I know what the first season is going to go so I'm just going to jump right in. Yeah. it's yeah. With some shows, it's predictable. Other shows, it's like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I mean, I there's
0: some shows, like, clearly you can do that. On something like Game of Thrones. Uh, that's
1: what I was about you to say. You can't.
0: You can't. If you wa- if you jumped into, like, Game of Thrones season three, psh, let's go for it. You'd be like, what the hell is going on here?
1: I think I was saying that for the first three seasons yeah. anyways. What the hell's going on? I couldn't. I, I, even if you tried to quiz me on names right now, I'd... I, no i just can't wrap it's my head hard enough to remember them from season
0: to season because i start rewatching it and i'm like okay right 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 you know because there's so many families now and yep. you know especially and here's the thing watching that show as it went on there's this really weird divide between people who had read the books and like oh they're doing it wrong like you can't do it wrong it's all up to the picture it paints in your head and then when they ran out of books they're like, oh well, now at least I have the real books to keep. You know, now I don't have to keep up with this garbage anymore. I'll just stick with the
1: books. <laughs> well, that's their prerogative. Though. But that's it's like, like if
0: you see the Dune, if you see the Dune movies, like the David Lynch's Dune, it's not like the book at all. You know, well, it is in some yeah, respects, in
1: some, some ways. But
0: but like the Sci-Fi Channel one they did with um, Alec Newman, in a lot of ways, is more how I pictured it in my head. But that's a much
2: longer miniseries, right? you know and miniseries was the precursor to doing serial yes. the, the return to serial because again i, I i'm always just going to reference him not just as a huge fan but king i mean you look at it salem's lot and a lot of these you know it, especially to be able to like to do a two night special or three night special i know that special. is
0: one of those things that like was a staple of network television that's gone completely to premium and basic yeah like i remember like w- like clockwork, every year or so ABC would have a Stephen King adaptation. Like I swear to God, the last one I remember them making was like Storm of the Century.
2: Rose Red was.
0: Huge. Oh, Rose Red was the last one. Rose it was Red.
2: after that. Yeah. yeah, it must have been or somewhere around the same time. But yeah. I remember Rose Red being one of the biggest ones. They played that up, she had, like Twin Peaks. Man, I remember they had her her journal, the journal diary of Ellen Rimbauer, like it was Laura Palmer's diary. Yeah, I mean they played that up huge. But I mean. At the time, you're talking about non-premium, you know, networks. They needed hits and they needed merchandising to to support, you okay. know. And nowadays, that's just a given. It, it, it you know, it, it, we actually had a little bit of a. I don't. Were we talking about on here? Oh, no, uh, before the discussion, I, I had made a point just kind of about how um we we were the, our pre-show discussion was a little bit about how um. It, it, it's important, ties into talking about these shows of how critically acclaimed and how elevated they are in people's consciousness and they're they're such huge fans, it changed their life. I, I think of the show Breaking Bad as being one of the number one where everyone's like, this is mm-hmm. the pinnacle of television. And now you look back, I mean, there's so much unbought, unpurchased merchandise from Breaking Bad because they as Victor mentioned, they did it too late. But I also think it's just merely that people... Just move on. We are an ultimate consumer culture. Yeah, yeah. And maybe twenty years from now, people will be going. God, Breaking Bad. That was landmark. That was. We're gonna have sociology classes about it. You know, um, and that might be, and it, it might not be. But what I mean is, is that um, that kind of goes on to the two to the um, you know the novel to the um, the the film um, discussion is is that people um, it has changed so much that. Uh, people are still always going to have the eternal argument: what's better, the book or the movie? But now that they ca- that we have such varied a- entertainment outlets, mm-hmm. I just don't think it's still it's it's never going to be that. Well,
0: yeah, and then a lot of times they're interested in how something is adapted through a particular lens. Like you yeah, know, I mean, just mentioned like uh, Hannibal, and like people are excited with that just because. <coughs> Brian Fuller was the guy who was adapting it, who did, like, Pushing Daisies and Wonderfalls. He has, like, a particular eye for doing things. And if you watch Hannibal, it's – you know, that was a show that was on network television. You, It doesn't – it's – that show would have prospered on basic cable because it's relentlessly gory and has these really artful deaths and just, like, my god, how did this get on television is what you're thinking you know because he had a specific vision and one that was very blood soaked, you know. And when I think of that, I think of that documentary a few years ago, like Jodorowsky's Dune. Which I, I you know, I watched that documentary, was like, wow, this is a really interesting, uh, you know, post mortem on a movie that never happened but influenced so much else. Yeah, I don't think it would have been a good movie if it had been made. But it's really interesting seeing the thought process that went into adapting something through a specific lens.
1: And Constantine had the same problem of being a network show that didn't deserve to be on a network. Yeah. Or why was it on a network, NBC or whatever?
2: And so many shows you just even mentioned. There's another couple like Wonder Falls and Pushing Daisies, hardcore fan bases. Yeah. But, you know, wide stream of appeal. People find stuff down the line, you know. And it is what it is. But I just, um, I, I, I do think it's funny that you kind of started on Tolkien as one of the first ones. And he's the kind of dude who I imagine would have a George R, R. Martin kind of life where he, if he was living today and created that series, yeah. he would be going, Oh, I can finally do it. We're going to have these, you know, and he would just be like, I'm going to do it my way. We're going to have the full on sonnets and we're, we're going to make this, you know, yeah. damn near glee like because that's what he wanted to do
0: well and that's the thing like i don't know how, what do you guys feel about this because this, this is really true in game of thrones with when you have george r. r martin writing the show where he's like i'm gonna change it and make it the way i really wanted to do it i mean it's still the author's intent but it's not an adaptation anymore well
1: and saying something like that is almost like shitting on the books yeah well that's ex- exactly what he's doing and on the people who took the time to read them because they're not just you know saturday afternoon oh i'm gonna pick up this book and get you know
2: i bought this at the airport yeah, and yeah i'm gonna right. read it on the flight
0: well right. it's interesting yeah, it's sully t- yeah because there's a lot of uh of you know a lot of time that's passes not a lot, that's not a flight you in, really song, on. <laughs> in the song in the song of ice it. and fire in terms of you know the kids have to grow up So he admitted as much that oh yeah a lot of this stuff was filler till I could get back to these characters and when you watch the TV show you can see exactly what was filler because it didn't make it to the TV show you know and and if you're invested in that storyline you didn't know that the author thought of it as filler you were really interested in that but I,
1: I would be I'm I'm totally on board with him making those decisions because I would probably be doing the same thing yeah. It's the process of the creative mind to keep saying, You know this tiny little nugget right here is like my shining genius moment. All the rest of it surrounding it is just to make that tiny little nugget even better. yeah, and if I can find the truth in that tiny little nugget and turn it into a a big brick of gold, then that's what I'm gonna do.
0: I the only the only I, I mean, I agree with you, the only thing I think. That approach takes away is you never know what characters stick with the popular imagination. I mean, even when like in terms of TV show, like the character Spike on Buffy mm-hmm. was supposed to like be killed off on his second appearance. Joss Whedon didn't think anything of the characters like, oh, he's a throwaway English stereotype. But he really resonated. And by the end, he was like the star of the show. And he becomes Just a like, breakout. Yeah. And, and it is what Just it
2: like is. Breaking Bad. Yeah. 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 Well, it, but yeah, the specifically like breaking out characters and stuff, and yeah, you have to be careful, and obviously, as circling back to the the Walking Dead kind of thing, I'm also talking with the people who are invested in the comics, the last thing I'll say about that is just that, I, I, I don't know, I, I've watched Game of Thrones, I have never, I'm not even close to being caught up and stuff, but I mean, I, I know how rich and vast this, not only the series is, the books and stuff, I mean... I've always looked at Game of Thrones as the fact that George A. R. R. Martin had to hire the guy who was doing his fan site to keep all the shit straight. Right. I mean it's a pretty rich – I mean like a vast universe that he's created and there are people who are deeply entrenched in it and then there are the more casual folks. And that's just going to go with any of these properties and I think when people – there are people who will tell you that books – um, you know, and we were trying to avoid, obviously, this Adam's parameters, talked about like comic books and graphic novels. If you're thinking of just text, though, I mean, a lot of people have, just like they have a movie or an album, they change their life. A lot of people always say, I have a book that changed my life, changed my thinking, um, you know, changed the complete paradigm I have. And it's, mm-hmm. and so, you know, they it's a sacred text. It starts becoming biblical or theological almost to the point. I mean, and, and I will say that the, the extension that that's one of the ones I feel like with a certain millennial – the millennial generation, I feel like Harry Potter has become yeah. borderline like – I mean it's a – it is it is like a Christ story. I mean he gets resurrected. I mean it's, it's, it's ludicrous like in a lot of respects but it's one of those ones where I still enjoyed it but that's the thing. Harry Potter for me – I rarely would have any interest in rewatching them. I'll watch the movies on occasion. I would reread some of the books, my favorites, but I just don't have the investment in that. I yeah. don't think I'll ever have it in Game of Thrones or a lot of other things. Whereas maybe a single book I might come back to and hopefully it has an adaptation that I would enjoy as well. But if it doesn't, at least I have several options. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always think of that that
0: bridge In terms of I know people in their like early to mid twenties who come to our shows and they have like full on like Harry Potter back pieces and tattoos all over their arms and stuff. And to me I'm just like, Oh, that's that like children's book series that was popular when I was in college, you know?
2: Victor's funeral next week here. It we'll does you make there. me
0: feel old. I don't know. Because I feel like I made a choice in the early 2000s. Like, am I going to watch Harry Potter movies or am I going to watch Lord of the Rings movies? And I went Lord of the Rings,
2: you know? Well, and I, I can't say. I, I, I did both. But for me, it's – I just – like I said, it's not – it's whatever you enjoy, enjoy. But, of course, it leads to the ultimate argument of that we've hit a point now with pop culture that people are like – Defane it like in ISIS like terminology. Well, and I attitudes. mean, The
0: thing is, to a certain degree, books are pop culture too. I mean, they are. We've made it this far and we've not mentioned the Twilight phenomena, you know? And what came from that? Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. And those, those are all of those movies made tons of money, but it's like, That level of Harry Potter fandom in a lot of them, you know, where it's like, this is my thing. I read this. I have an ownership of it. The same way I think a lot of us have had in certain comics, maybe. I feel like I had that ownership in comic book movies in the 90s with, like, Batman movies. Versus now, I don't think it's the same because the people going to comic book movies don't read comic books. They just watch other comic book movies. True.
2: True. Yeah. And and you're right about the ownership thing. Yeah. that's the the ultimate term, is and that, and that has started with books. People are again the book changed my life. I love the book. The book is so important. Yeah, I live my life by the book or whatever attitude it may be. Oh, oh yes, yes, please. But yeah, that's add the, some coral. That, that is like acquired. this
0: is like that's kind of like at the at the heart of why I'm not really into comic book movies that much anymore. Because like I was watching The Crow the other day. And I had the Crow graphic novel, you know. And that's one of the only comics. Because I remember graphic novel was the thing that, oh, you know, academics and adults throw so they can say they don't read comic books. But the Crow actually was like a graphic novel. It's one of the few books I would say that. Because you read it and there's a poem by Baudelaire on one page. Then there's like a watercolor painting. Then there's like more poetry. Then there's the comic story. You know, it's like, okay, I'm getting like – an interesting piece here you know and i felt in a sense of ownership when i watched that like it's it's fairly true to the comic but then they throw in stuff like making top dollar some kind of like super you know asian super villain instead of being like a street thug like t-bird and the rest of them are you know and but it's still about his journey so i was like okay i can still get on board even with the changes you know And even the X-Men movies, I was like, oh, because I watched the X-Men cartoons in the 90s. And those were pretty literal adaptations of storylines. But then the movies kind of became their own thing. And, like, I'm not – I'm never going to see Sentinels. You know what I'm saying? And we did, but they're not what I pictured. So that's kind of, like, the same way with, like, books like Dune where I'm like – you know, I saw Dune when I was a kid and I'm like – that looks really cool. And I read the book in high school. I'm like, that's not the movie I
1: saw. Right. Yeah. So, because we need to wrap it up. Okay. Name like maybe two of your f- favorite novel to movies. Doesn't have to be like a faithful one, mm-hmm. but just what are like a couple of your favorites?
2: I do want to say just one quick item because this really did do something good with Victor. What he uh-huh. said is in the end is is that and this is gonna sound super cheesy but it really is is that I think in the end why so many adaptations don't work or people don't like them is, is that the books the best part of books is it is the the movie you make in your head right yeah. and I do think that there is no way that can ever be attained so you know for me it's all um, will quick do mine I mean I, I'm gonna go actually with the the King adaptation one still I I it's really hard for me, but I will say that the mist is exactly the way I pictured it in yeah, my so good. in my head. Um, and the reason I love the mist so much too is because of the radio drama that was made in the eighties for it that I used to listen to all the time. And um, I can't remember off the top of my head um, who made it. My apologies. Look it up though online. Mist audio drama. Um, and you know, it, based on it's, it's really hard. But I would say. Um, the Shawshank Redemption is a perfect, to me, one of the perfect movies ever made. Um, and the adaptation from Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption is pretty spot mm-hmm. Again, Darabont just really nailed it. I would say Rob Reiner did with Stand By Me too, but it's hard. I mean, there's there's so many I could list. I could look at lists and all that. But in the end, it's I'm going to go with the, the criteria I just set, is, is what was it like in my head when I was reading mm-hmm. and what did I see on yeah.
1: screen? Yeah, no, that's... That yeah beauty
0: yeah it's i mean it's like funny because in high school i read so many books that they made into movies and i was always like put off by how far apart they were nerd and, well it's true like you know <laughs> Just, you, when you read blade when you see blade runner and then you read like do uh, andrew's dream. dream of electric right. sheep and it's not yeah. like it at all yeah it's like oh uh. but <laughs> um i don't know i i thought choke uh the, Clark Gregg directed that movie. Most people you probably know him now as um, this agent Eden, from, yeah, from Agent Smith. of S.H.I.E.L.D., yeah. um, Coulson. Coulson. But um, he directed and got the rights to do an adaptation of uh, Chuck Palahniuk's Choke that has um, Angelica Houston and a really good cast in it. Uh, the main guy is Sam Rockwell. And it's a really weird, depressing book, but somehow he makes it work. He does compress a couple of the subplots. Into a more literal thing. Yeah. And that I don't like as much, but that's as faithful as an adaptation as you're going to get of that book. Fight Club, I also like a lot. I mean, I like both of those books, and the movie versions do keep a lot of the weird absurdities in them. Mm -hmm. So I would probably say those in terms of, like, faithful adaptations. I can... Uh, I can. Still, I mean, it doesn't even
1: have to be faithful. No, I Just, can still you know.
0: say like the my the the one I hate the most is uh, Roman Polanski did a movie called The Ninth Gate, which is based on this book I really loved in college called El Club Dumas by this author named uh, Arturo Perez riverte and the movie like it like if you could take a chainsaw to butcher a good book <laughs> and then piss on it, that's what they did because. It takes a, the tiniest fucking subplot from that book, com- combines a bunch of characters from the novel, and then makes a whole movie out of that. And everything interesting, he like, was not interested in at all. Huh. And the movie's still all right, but it bugs me because the book is so much better.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Even still there is something about the Ninth Gate that just didn't feel right. Well the fact that I think one of the
0: bigger problems with it is like Johnny Depp, when he made that movie, was probably a couple years younger than I am now, and he's playing a character in his sixties.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. He's playing
0: like a book detective, like basically someone who appraises novels and then rips them off and sells them. And the whole book is about him finding a manuscript for a never-published Alexander Dumas book and trying to find if it was a real thing. And it actually goes through the whole techniques people use to authenticate books. And then the movie's all concerned about this – like, uh, manuscript that had these plates that were drawn by the devil and it's like a tiny subplot in the book, which isn't that interesting. So half the movie's made up and it sucks because the things that they keep, all the weird details from the book, like the twin brothers who were, you know, book forgers, all that's in there. It's like, God, you could have done it, but you (laughs) didn't. And it kind of sucks. So I'll just start with that. I actually really want to read the book now. It's really good. the
2: movie was fucking atrocious. Yeah, it, like personally. the book is
0: super good. You should read it. Yeah, I will. Well, I
1: agree do with it. you. I, Fight Club is still, I just, I love that adaptation. And I think David Fincher did an awesome job, including the whole entire cast. To Kill a Mockingbird, like I mentioned before, I could watch that just over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Again, it's just a good you know conglomerate of everybody involved. Uh, I'd have to say like some of the worst, which is more topical now. That the Tom Hanks, Ron Howard collaborations mm-hmm. are very just difficult to watch. The what? The Inferno, the what were the other books? The
0: oh, Da Vinci Code and, and, Angels, Vinci Code, and, and Angels and
1: Demons. I barely got through Da Vinci Code, just going, This is bullshit, stupidest shit I've ever seen. And uh, why even watch the rest of them?
0: First Blood is a good adaptation, the first Rambo movie,
1: which they're remaking.
0: Yeah, mm. it's called New
1: Blood. Oh my god. Supposedly that's the that's the
0: But that movie didn't
2: need sequels. It was just a good movie. Yeah, yeah no, definitely for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: it yeah. had a different tone to it completely. Yeah, definitely. For different reasons.
2: Well, let us know what your favorite uh adaptations were, or worst, if you think there's some truly awful ones out there. And um
0: Oh, one more. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Uh James and the Giant Peach. Cause I loved that book when I was a kid, and the, the stop motion one is really good too.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I will say the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory on the rolled doll tip. Yeah, I truly do love, and I f- did feel like that was. I a reading. I mean, the book was. I read the book when early eighties, when the movie was only about ten years old. So yeah, I don't know. It really connected with me. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I just want I'm just waiting for somebody to post in the comments about the never ending story. That'll be the that'll be the one I look forward to. <laughs> and then you
0: will need to post the Lionel Hutz gif.
2: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is very true.
0: Anyway, until next time, I'm Victor Marino along with Kirby Nelson and Adam Rukowski. Yeah. Have a happy Halloween and we'll fi- we'll see you next time for another journey into Cenophilia. <laughs>